Brother Station to 1031 Fresh Radio. 980 CFPL is CFPL AM London, a chorus entertainment company. Everything's becoming darker. Vikings. New episode tonight at 9 on History. Hi, it's Mike Stubbs, and I am a terrible gift buyer. Ask my wife about the jeans. Actually, don't. I get all stressed out. I roam around malls for hours. I wind up making impulse buys. It doesn't work out, but not this year. Not this year. I'm doing my shopping at MyPillow.com. I couldn't try on those jeans that I once bought for my wife, but I have tried out a MyPillow. I sleep with one every night, and with the buy one at regular price and get one free offer that's on right now, I'm going to save money. And there's the money-back guarantee offer that goes until March 1st. Exciting news as well. According to a recent clinical study, my my pillow has been shown to improve your sleep. It increases the quality of your sleep, helps you sleep through the night. Trust me, it happens. Go to mypillow.com, click on the buy one get one free special and use my code stubs and you'll get one free pillow when you buy one at regular price. Take advantage of their best offer ever. Go to mypillow.com, click on the buy one get one free special and enter the promo code stubs. S T U B B S. How are things on a Wednesday? Shopping days are dwindling. Get it ready, get shopping, get doing. Today on the show, we've got some really interesting people I can't wait to talk to. Our first guest is one of them, and I'll tell you about him in just a moment. Tim Newfeld of Tim and the Glory Boys, Juno Award winners. They are, I think, on their tour bus right this minute. They will join us in a little over a half hour from now, talk about winning a Juno. Talk about their career, switching from rock to bluegrass and country and gospel. We are also, in an hour from now, going to speak with Mitch Chevallo. He's the son of George Chevallo, one of Canada's best boxers. And we're going to talk, of course, about a Canadian boxer who is, at the moment, fighting for his life in a coma. That's Adonis Stevenson. But we're also going to talk about the sport of boxing. Picture Mitch at the age of six, standing up on a seat, watching his own father step into the ring against Muhammad Ali. He'll tell that story. That's in an hour from now. But there's a story that has been going on in rural Ontario, and quite specifically, rural southwestern Ontario. And it's one that began in the summer. But over the last few weeks, we have seen more and more, and we've certainly seen direct attention to this from the Ontario government. And it's something that has affected corn farmers and corn crops. And to hear what it is that affects them makes you think, yeah, that sounds like a nasty thing. It's called vomitoxin. That right there just blends together all kinds of things that you just don't want to deal with. Well, it affects corn. It's something that comes around when the conditions are right. So when things are warm enough, when things are wet enough, but it causes major issues with corn crops. And this is something that the Ontario government has been asked to deal with. It's something that they have started to deal with. And it's something that we're going to ask more about right now because there was a panel earlier this week that discussed vomitoxin and what to do for farmers in Ontario once again. Please welcome to London Live, 
The Minister for Agriculture, Food, and Rural Affairs, Mr. Ernie Hardiman. Mr. Hardiman, thanks so much for being here. Well, we're happy to be here, Mike. Let's look at kind of the latest on this, and let's talk about your discussion earlier this week. What was it centered around? Well, actually, um, obviously, we, it's a very challenging and frustrating time for our affected farmers, and, and that started a, a number of months ago when the corn harvest uh, started. And then we found that there was a uh, quite a, a an occurrence of the vomitoxin, in, particularly in southwestern Ontario. And, of course, that makes corn very difficult to market. And so uh, we uh, we did um, we heard a lot of concerns expressed. So we set up a meeting with all the people involved, which is not only the producers but the processors and and the marketers and the um, and the insurance um, uh, wing of of the government, the uh, the agricultural people, and so forth, to talk about what what we could do collectively to. Uh, uh, to first of all get our good crop out of the field and market it, and then secondly, how do we deal with the uh, with the challenges they're facing? So we uh, we did that, and uh, we made some uh, we made some headway, and everybody went back to work and. Uh, uh, with the information that we uh, that we shared with each other, and we now have uh, the primary uh, uh, crop, uh, the majority of the crop, if not all of it, but uh, but we have a lot of the crop harvested already, and uh, and we're we're starting to deal with some of the uh, the challenge and finding solutions for those. Uh, of course, this was the second meeting we had this week to talk again with the same players as to um, some of the suggestions that we'd made. Uh, we are now doing it, and it's working. Um, some some of it, uh, some of the corn is now going through the process of uh, creating ethanol, uh, and of course the uh, uh, the ethanol companies have have had test runs to, to see what they could do and and how they could uh, deal with that, and it seems to be working. Uh, some other. Uh, Companies have, have found ways to market some of the product, uh, and depending on on the level. So um, it's all working along, but obviously there's still a lot of challenges to overcome. Absolutely. Now, when you look at the effect on the crop, how much of that was a concern that hey, this anything affected by vomitoxin, this might as well just go in the incinerator? It doesn't sound like that is necessarily the case. No, it, it it's um, uh, vomitoxin is 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 um, is, is present quite often at, at very low levels. Uh, and, but as you said in your opening remarks, Mike, it, uh, in, un, under perfect conditions, uh, at the right time that it gets wet and it's still mild enough for, it to, for the toxin to grow on the corn, and yet the, um, the husks of the corn don't allow it to dry out as it should, uh, then it gets more. And, of course, the higher the level, uh, the greater the problem. And so... Um, when it first comes, the the objective, of course, is to get the the corn off as quickly as you can and and get it get it dried so it, uh, it no longer uh, is susceptible to the growth of the vomitoxin on the on the corn. But it it doesn't uh, that doesn't take it off. So uh, it's still you have to deal with it. But uh, when when it first started, we didn't know how much there was. We just knew that it was. Uh, in a lot of locations, but we didn't know the extent. And as we're moving forward now, we're getting closer to actually be able to identify uh, what what uh, what size the problem is. And obviously, it's uh, it's a major it's a major problem. But I think uh, 
uh, it is coming out that we're we're finding solutions for a lot of it. We're talking with the Minister of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs, Mr. Ernie Hardiman. Mr. Hardiman, when you are a corn farmer and you grow your corn and you have basically one crop, one chance at this, and all of a sudden something goes wrong, obviously you get very concerned about what the future is going to hold over the next year until you can grow another corn crop. How much concern is being expressed to you by the farmers who feel that they have lost some of their own income? Well, I think uh, obviously that's the concern of everyone who, um, who uh, at, at the first blush found they had vomitoxin in their corn. Uh, obviously, that becomes a major concern. How bad is it going to be, and how much are we going to lose uh, before this is over? They all need an answer. So, I think part of our getting the whole group together to start with was to to talk that over, and make sure that everybody at the table knew what options there were, where they could get information to uh, uh, to improve on the. Uh, uh, on the situation, and and so uh, that's um, and that was what the meeting was, and it seemed when we got three weeks later, when we did the second meeting, it seemed to have helped a lot uh, with people understanding that uh, when they had it in one field and they didn't know whether they should um, uh, what they should do uh, as far as um, contacting the insurance or whether they should uh, uh, try and harvest and so forth, but giving them the information of what they needed. Uh, to know um, was uh, was the most important thing. The other thing that was very important at the first meeting was uh, there was a real concern expressed by almost everyone involved about the problems with the testing for it after the corn was put in the in the uh, in the trucks for transportation or to the farm to the dryer. Um, they were getting all kinds of variants in in the uh, in the testing of how much vomitoxin there was now we're talking about parts per million whether it's um, uh, two parts per million or five parts per million uh, and so uh, it's a very technical test so we have put in place uh, and we announced that um, almost immediately when we had the first meeting that the government would put forward uh, a program to help fund uh, more testing equipment and to help farmers uh, they could apply uh, for some assistance to buy new testing equipment or um, help pay for testing, um, extra testing that was needed to do, and so they they wouldn't be held up um, from getting it done. Uh, we would uh, help um, fund that, and and obviously the uh, the actual funding for that now uh, um, uh, opens up tomorrow. Uh, where they can actually apply to uh, have that paid for, even though they have purchased the funding equipment or the uh, testing equipment uh, some time back. Uh, we're going to help with that to, uh, uh, to help them along. Now, is that we because also, can vomitoxin spread? You talk about putting everything in and, and, you know, taking it away from the fields. Is that an issue that they need to be able to test for it so that they can realize, hey, this is a, a bad part of the crop here, but this one's okay? No, no, it, it's well. No, it doesn't spread. But the I think the important part is is that you have to know what level it is. If you um, if you have it at at um, five parts per million, and you have some at at point uh, zero parts per million, if you put the two together, that'll likely be then a a three parts per million, which is well within the acceptable level uh, for most uh, for most livestock feeds. Oh, gotcha. And and so you know it's uh, those are the type of things. But when you're marketing the corn, obviously, um, going to the elevator, you have to know what they're getting. When it first started, we were finding that farmers were going to the elevator, um, 
being told that it was too high and that elevator wouldn't take it, and they could drive to the next one, and all of a sudden they retested it, and they found that it was acceptable or vice versa. So um, uh, it really was everyone some, expressed some concern about the, the volatility of the testing. So uh, that's why we, uh, we wanted to make sure that we did as much as we could to get, at least get the testing right. And so, um, and, and I think that's working along fairly well, and we were getting some very uh, positive uh, replies at our meeting this week. Mr. Hardman, what is next in this situation? Well, I think, I think we just have to work along with the whole industry um, to make sure that uh, uh, we, we um, uh, allow the, the um, work together to make sure that the, the, the corn that is, that is uh, still good for, for feed uh, is in the right place and to make sure that the corn going to, um, uh, to storage with and not yet having a home because there may be other purposes that they could be used for. In fact, there is corn that's being used for fuel. So we maybe some of the very uh, of the the higher toxicity um, could go into creating fuel. But in order to do that, we have to find we have to segregate it, we have to store it separately, and then we have to be able to use it for that purpose. So um, we we just have to work together to make sure that everybody's um, on the same page and. Uh, uh, and we get the right uh, the right product in the right place, and and make sure we salvage as much of it as we can. We're talking with Mr. Ernie Hardiman, who is the Minister of Agriculture, Food, and Rural Affairs. One final thing, Mr. Hardiman, and that is, we know how important farmers are. You don't have farmers, we're not going to last too long on this earth. But in terms of assistance and and helping out financially, how do you bring about those decisions and decide where that assistance should go and whether even this case might be one of those cases? Well, and, and I think obviously um, uh, that's a very good question, Mike. And, and obviously it's a it's considered an inhibitor too uh, um, that would be covered by crop insurance. So the uh, the um, um, AgriCorps, which is an arm of the provincial government that has the uh, the crop insurance, uh, has coverage for when uh, when you have a season with no rain and you have the drought, and it also has coverage for for the vomitox. And so that will be of some help, um, you know, to the um, to the farmers that are affected. Uh, uh, quite extensively with it, and like I said, the, the government is working with them to make sure that uh, collectively we're all doing as much as we can uh, to to help uh, to help each other through the uh, thing. Now, there's still a lot of good corn in Ontario, and uh, and uh, so um, when we get done, we want to make sure that everybody that we do the best for everybody that we can. Well, we really appreciate your time in speaking with us today and spelling out the latest on the vomitoxin story, Mr. Hardiman. Have a great day. Well, thank you very much for calling. Thanks, Mike. Take care. That is Ernie Hardiman, Minister of Agriculture, Food, and Rural Affairs. So this this becomes a, a really difficult situation. It's just, in a way, part of farming. You know, as Mr. Hardiman points out, you're going to have years where you've got no rain. You're going to have years where all of a sudden you get some kind of pest that fights through any pesticides that are being used. And in this case, it is something called vomitoxin, which kind of gives the corn a, a pinky look at times. And then you've got black ends on it. And it looks all mushy. Is that technical enough? Is that, is that scientific enough? Did I do that justice? No, I did not. But that's what it is. And so now they've got to figure out, okay, well, which corn is affected so that you can push some in one direction, make sure you've got other corn going in other directions. Will it affect, affect corn prices? That hasn't been determined yet. 
So, I mean, we'll have to wait to see whether your niblets are going to go up in cost. But overall, I mean, we're looking at a lot of, as Mr. Hardiman alluded to, cow corn, so livestock corn. And we're looking at corn that can be used for ethanol. So they've done some testing on that. Sounds like they've had some favorable returns on that. You've got to protect farmers. We really, really do. Maybe, have I put them into my millionaire category before? If I haven't, then I, I'm sorry if I missed it because that's... Teachers, doctors, nurses, firefighters, police officers, and farmers should all be the millionaires of our world. Forget about William Nylander signing for $6.9 million a season. Let's figure out how to use that money a little better. Don't you think? No, don't touch William Nylander. He's going to help the... Yeah, okay. Plays hockey. Let's take a break. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. It's London Live with Mike Stubbs. London's home for news you can use. Now, here's your host, Mike Stubbs. Coming up in about 15 minutes, 16 minutes, we are going to be joined by Tim Newfeld from Tim and the Glory Boys. You may not know them. You need to at least check them out. Yesterday, we were lucky enough to talk with a Juno nominee and award winner. Today, we'll do the same thing. Don't forget, Juno's come up in London in March. But the areas that the Junos cover, I mean, when you watch an award show, and it's a music award show, what do you tend to center on? You tend to center on all of the poppiest front and center performances, right? You have all of those Junos that are one behind the scenes, or you have all of, sorry, you have all of those Oscars that are one behind the scenes at the Academy Awards, for instance, for lighting and this and that. And, and if you dig into the music industry and you look at people who might not be front and center at a certain awards show because of the genre of music that they're involved in, you miss out on some great stories. And yesterday we talked with Michael Casehammer. You can find that at 980cfpl.ca. And Michael Casehammer is a jazz musician. And if you don't like jazz, or if you've never been exposed to jazz, you would think, yeah, okay, I'll, on to the next thing. Sorry, skip that, skip ahead. But his story's fantastic. He grew up in Germany, and his dad had all of these old records of New Orleans jazz musicians. And something just pulled Michael as a guy who was nine years old taking piano lessons, plunking away on a piece of furniture, as he called it. He started listening to those records, and something just grabbed him from there. And yet, it was just something that he did. And then his family moved to Canada. And in Canada, his family set up in B.C., and he realized... At about 18, you could actually make money being a musician. And he's now got studio albums. He's collaborating with some of the top musicians. Just did something with Cyril Neville. Some of the top musicians anywhere in the world. And he is Canadian. Fantastic story. So if, if you missed it yesterday on the show, you can still hear it at 980cfpl.ca under our shows page. But today, we're going to talk with Tim Newfeld, who has been a rock star in Christian music. And now is a country and bluegrass and gospel star in Christian music. And we'll just talk about, 
you know, the music life and being able to find something that you love to do. Like, are you looking at Tim Newfeld and saying, well, look, the album featuring Tim and the Glory Boys has done, gone seven times platinum or has gone, what, what's the next one up, Diamond? Isn't that the goal in Canada? After platinum, there's actually something. There's Diamond. And that gets hit. That means you have made all kinds of money. But in the end, that's not what it's about. You know, there there is uh, a great line that was said by a Canadian musician. And it's one that, that kind of sums up something we lose sight of with musicians. And I think especially a lot with music today because... Some people in music today will treat it just like a viral video. Man, if I could get this to go viral, I could make some money off this. And that's what they wind up using it for. And that's not what it is. That's that's not what you want to use it for. And if you go back to something that uh, that was said not too long ago by Ian Thornley, he said, it's not about making the next number one hit. It's about making something that was never there before. And that's what true musicians go and do. And so Tim and the Glory Boys are not looking at 10 times platinum, 12 times platinum, but they're on a tour bus right now, and they are traveling around, and they are playing shows, and they are loving what they are doing, and they're creating something that was never there before. And so we'll talk with them about that. And then in just a little over a half hour from now, Mitch Chevallo is going to join us. He is the son of George Chevallo, arguably Canada's best-known boxer, five-time Canadian champion, fought for the heavyweight title twice. What do you think about boxing? You know, those who have grown up watching it will say, hey, it's the sweet science, and will appreciate all of the nuances. If you're introduced to boxing today, you might say, it's two guys just trying to beat each other's head in. And MMA is somehow more exciting, so I'm going to go and watch that because these guys just stand there and they just take punches. So I'm going to go watch the MMA. Well, we're going to look at boxing because Adonis Stevenson right now is in a coma. He's a boxer at a fight on the weekend. Mitch Chevallo grew up in the world of boxing, grew up with his dad, and he'll tell us about this, his dad as a superhero. This is somebody who entered the ring and Mitch was old enough to remember it. To fight Muhammad Ali. He watched his dad do that. He'll tell us the story. But now he's got to look at what boxing has done to his dad. And what it's doing to other fighters. And we'll discuss that. London Live. Enjoy the sunshine. Up next, we have Jacqueline LaBelle with some news. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. You see the video? This may have come to you. Don't. Watch it in front of your kids, necessarily, depending on how old your kids are. But along I-80 in Hackensack, New Jersey. Man, New Jersey has a tough time with publicity, doesn't it? Quick, name something good about New Jersey. I'll wait. See? It's at the butt of all kinds of jokes. Well, yesterday along I-80 in Hackensack. It does have Hackensack. That's a great name. Wouldn't you love to be from Hackensack? Ever been to Hackensack? Okay, I'll stop. But along I-80, somebody hacked into a traffic sign and decided to post their own message. 
And it was, uh, it was an ad for a uh, service that uh, you could get, and it gave a number. I doubt it worked. It was probably one buddy who hacked in and gave his other buddy's phone number. But the question has become out of this, and I'll put it to you in case you've got some great ideas. If you could hack into some kind of sign and make it your own, and I'm not advising that you do this or learn how to do this. There's a lot more you can do with your time than learning how to hack. Plus, it takes a long time. It's very hard. But if you could do it, what would you put on a sign that people drove by on the highway? Any ideas? Email them to me, mike at 980cfpl.ca. What would you put on your sign if you had one along the highway? Or you could just do it the old-fashioned way, and you could actually purchase one of those signs. It would take a lot of money. Maybe Kylie Jenner and her gold Christmas tree could lend you some. But you could put a sign along the highway that somebody saw that was about you. What would you want on there? You know, this person took the time to hack into this sign and probably played a joke on their friend, and their friend may or may not have received any calls that they probably didn't want to get. May have to change their phone number. The mailbox is full. Yeah, that would happen really fast. What would you put on your sign? Mike at 980cfpl.ca, or you can tweet me at Stubbs980. Up next, we will head out onto the road. We will catch up with people who are actually driving right now because they are between shows. Tim and the Glory Boys are coming to London very soon. They are Juno Award winners. Well, Tim himself is a Juno Award winner. So we'll talk Junos, and we'll talk life of a musician who isn't necessarily looking to go 10 times platinum. I love digging into the lives of people who aren't doing it for the fame and who aren't doing it for the cash. And that's what we'll do next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Okay, a couple of suggestions so far as to what you would put on your sign. You'll see probably, this has been circulated all over the place, but what was along I-80, I can't say it on the radio. I can't. I'm not allowed. There are rules. So I can't say what somebody hacked onto a sign along the highway in Hackensack, New Jersey, but I can tell you that Sarah has sent in a picture of my dog, and she sent in a picture of her dog. It's a cute dog. I don't know what kind of dog it is. It's one of those ones, it doesn't, it doesn't look like a teddy bear, but it looks like a sweater. Is that... Does that help? I don't I don't know breeds of dogs very well. It's got kind of a long horse face, looks like a sweater. Sarah, thank you for that. She didn't say what the dog's name was, and I'm sorry I probably insulted your dog, Sarah. Uh, got another one that has come in from Matt, and Matt says, definitely the best dad joke. I'm a new dad, and I'm brushing up. And then he gives the, do you want to hear the dad joke? You want to hear the dad joke, don't you? Okay, this is, Matt is brushing up. He's a new dad. Matt, congratulations on being a dad. Matt's joke is, why did the coffee call the police? It got mugged. Matt, you're going to be a great dad. Matt, that is, that is excellent stuff. So Matt would use a dad joke. Sarah's got a picture of the dog. What are you putting on your sign when you learn to hack and hack into? Don't do it. Don't hack into electronic signs. They're useful. We need them for a lot of things that aren't 
pictures of dogs or dad jokes, but it's nice to hear those every once in a while. It's nice to see them, too. It is always nice to catch up with these guys. They are in it because they love it, and that is one of the best things you can say about anybody. If you can follow whatever your dream is and find a way to make a living at it, you are going to live a happy life. Joining us on London Live is Tim Newfeld from Tim and the Glory Boys. And we really appreciate you guys being here. Tim, you're you're driving now. How is the road? Oh man, it is it is literally moving beneath me. Or I guess I'm moving on top of it, but we're on the bus on the way to Aurelia for a a uh, little stop in at a radio station, and then we're playing in Huntsville tonight. Yeah, and you're not too far away from London, Ontario. We've got a few stops, Newmarket, St. Catharines, Cambridge. You'll be in London on December the 9th, and if you want to see about getting tickets, very easy to do it. In fact, you can go to eventbrite.com right now because it'll be December 9th, which is a Sunday, at the New Hope Community Church, 7 to nine fifteen. Uh, give us an idea of life inside that tour bus. Sometimes you see tour buses that uh, that are kind of revamped and looking pretty comfortable. You feeling comfortable right now? Yeah, man, we're feeling really comfortable. It's actually uh, funny enough. Tim McGraw's old tour bus, so we keep looking for little uh, guitar picks or memorabilia that he left behind on purpose, so that we would find it and we never do. But it's still fun to know that we're uh, we're in a superstar bus, even if it's a little older. I've, have you found anything, Tim McGraw? Maybe a, a you know a, a beard hair, something that you look at and go, "Yeah, is that yours? That doesn't look like yours. That's got to be a Tim McGraw beard hair." Yeah, we've got several uh, bits of beard hair we're going to take in for DNA evidence. We just have to get a swab of his uh, saliva somehow to help us figure that out. Abduct him? I don't know. No, it's been it's been awesome. Yeah, and, and we're uh, we're stoked to get to London. You, I, you mentioned Eventbrite. TimmyTour.com is a little easier way to get there. Just. T-I-M-M-Y-T-O-U-R. That's the, that's the website that'll okay. take you straight to the yeah. Eventbrite page. We always love that. Easy ways yeah. are better ways. TimmyTour.com. Com. Beautiful. Let's talk about the fun that you guys have, because that's something that everybody mentions. When you think that you are right now a Christian bluegrass band, you've been involved in Christian rock bands, you don't necessarily equate that word fun, but you guys get that everywhere you go. <laughs> What's that been like? <laughs> uh it's it's been uh fun it's been uh us just sort of being ourselves and trying not to take anything too seriously except the main things i mean you know like we're all pretty into being uh husbands and and fathers and like that side of our lives we take really serious but we're on the road it's it's just uh it's us just trying to enjoy life because it's short man and what else is there? We have the best jobs in the world. We're, we're here, you know, living our dreams out, each one of us. And uh, if we were miserable, it'd be a pretty sorry state to be in, given all the opportunities and how lucky we've been to get to do this. You've done it in the rock genre. You now do it, can we say, in the bluegrass gospel genre? Or are you in a genre? Are you creating uh, a genre? Yeah, no, maybe. I think it's a, I think bluegrass, gospel, and Christian, sorry, but gospel, bluegrass, and country are are are, are pretty solid uh, bedfellows, and they they've they've kind of coexisted from the beginning. One kind of have has begot the other, and and we're in that somewhere. But I mean, this this album of of late, the Buffalo Road Show, is definitely uh, uh, as country as we've ever been, and that makes sense. I mean, even as we were playing these gospel uh, 
making records and, and touring it. It was it's all these country music on on the bus, so maybe it's just us finding our eventually kind of our place in the middle of it um, more now than we've ever ever done. Tim Newfield, Tim and the Glory Boys, as we talk about life on the road, we talk about coming to London, Ontario, which happens on December the 9th. Tim, bluegrass and gospel, that's usually something that, that everybody is born with. Are you somebody who was born into that? Is the entire band, you know, are you guys all born into that? Yeah, that's a great question. And yeah, I mean, we grew up, we grew up going to church and that's where we all sort of learned how to be musicians on stage. It's a little bit of a different scenario than the stuff we're doing now, but at its heart is, you know, four, four guys, uh, or four, five people, um, learning to kind of play together and, um, and bluegrass is a, is a part really of, of our childhood more than kind of our, our playing in church just with, uh, with, with grandpas or uncles, you know, like playing the instruments that eventually have made their way into our, our band and it originally inspired us. When you go back to playing rock and, and playing what you are now, the differences, what would you point to? I think uh, rock music, it takes itself pretty serious. You kind of have to be cool and you have to think about your moves. And, and there's a, the whole genre is, is, you know, like based upon the rock star who is supposed to not give a, give a care about what anybody thinks and just be inherently cool. We, I mean, on one hand, we care deeply and, uh, you know, in in a, in the sense that we uh, we care about people, but uh, I think the other side of it is that uh, there is a permission in bluegrass and it seems like country too. Now that we're in it, to just sort of also be a little bit goofy and have a little more fun, much more than gospel music, anyway. Uh, <laughs> when we started out in gospel music, we were the only band that was like writing songs about enjoying life, and you know, like, and that's I think that's something that gospel music is coming to terms with. They've kind of painted themselves into a little bit of a corner where it's just so serious, and yet it's just about you know the most serious things in life. And there's a place for that, and I've written those songs, but but bringing joy back into the the process and the experience has always been something that's been close to our hearts. And uh, and now being in country music, where there's a little more permission to do that, and bluegrass especially, and uh, you know like the songs just can kind of be stories about just normal life experiences. And, be romantic in, in the in the songwriting. It's it just felt like a, a bit of a breath of fresh air. They also give you the opportunity to name an album Hootenanny. You don't get that everywhere. <laughs> I suppose you're right. Yeah, it, it definitely uh, that that album was even a little more gospel than the, the Buffalo Roadshow. But it, it takes people by surprise. But I think like it, it's about time we were taken by surprise here and there. As long as it's you know like we're, and that's that's us. We're not living these lives that are that are contrary to what we've believed all these years. It's just sort of a different interpretation of, of, uh, of that um, life lived and, um, and a kind of a, a road ahead that feels as natural as anything we've ever done. Tim Newfeld with us from Tim and the Glory Boys right now on an old Tim McGraw tour bus as they are on <laughs> tour getting set to come to London on Sunday, December the 9th. Tim, in terms of... Junos. We've got the Junos coming to London, and we're really trying to appreciate what that is all about. That's you, right. You've been nominated. You've won. Can you take us through the experience as an artist to go through that and be recognized in that way? Sure, I think so. I mean, it's it's a combination of uh, of feeling extremely uh, proud to have you know your peers vote for you and and give you that uh, recognition, which 
at the end of the day, I think artists are mostly playing for, you know, it's the fans are, are important, um, of course, but there's nothing like getting a, a an accolade or a pat on the back from, from those that you're in the same industry with. And there's nothing like giving it too, like where, you know, the, the Beyonce's of the world, everyone bows down. So it's, uh, it's, uh, this is not me comparing myself to Beyonce, by the way, but if you want to make that comparison, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's also, you know, just, it's another, it's another thing that, uh, builds confidence and, um, and confidence is a, is a big part of, I think success in the music industry. And, um, and that's, uh, that's also important. Some days I would say that, Juno, uh, when I see it, you know, on the shelf in the basement, in the man cave, uh, some days it's, it's a great confidence booster. Literally you walk by and be like, okay, yeah, no, I, in my darker moments, like, you know, we've obviously accomplished something here and, and uh, and some days it's a paperweight, and when I don't need it, uh, you know, it's like all the other things happening are 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 great to to kind of keep keep keeping on, and and um, yeah, you know, if there's more in the future, I'm I'm stoked on that. If there isn't, I'm gonna be okay. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out for us today. We'll look forward to seeing you in London. Give us. Uh the timmytour.com is that where we want to go for tickets yeah you got it you remembered it see it's memorable there you go that's it timmytour.com give me a blast yeah can't wait to see you guys okay take care you do bye-bye tim newfield from tim and the glory boys cruising down the road in an old tim mcgraw bus you know share and share alike tim mcgraw gets a new bus all of a sudden the old bus goes into circulation you pick it up you have to imagine we should have had him take us on more of a tour now i'm curious aren't you how many bathrooms are in a tim mcgraw tour bus i think there'd be more than one is there a hot tub in there big couch how big's the tv i should have asked just thinking about that now i was more concerned as to whether or not they'd found any tim mcgraw memorabilia and beard hair We'll let you know what's coming up in the next hour of London Live in just a moment. Also want to tell you what a restaurant in the UK is doing. Do you think you could part with a certain something to have dinner? Well, if you can't, then they don't want you eating there. We'll have the story next. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We haven't received any other suggestions in terms of what highway signs you would put up if you could hack into the electronic highway sign system, but Matt's dad joke has brought another couple of dad jokes. You know you want to you want to hear them. I'll only read two. This one comes from Martin, and this this is the classic dad joke, and Martin does spell it out as that. Hey, this is the classic dad joke. Don't blame me for it. Why did the Scarecrow win an award? Because he was outstanding in his field. Huh? I think that, is that what started the dad joke phenomenon? Is that what did it? Do we have that joke to blame? And then I also have one from Darna. And Darna says, this is one my dad always used to use. When I'd say, I'll call you later or I'll call you tomorrow or something like that, he'd always say, don't call me later, don't call me tomorrow, call me dad. That's a dad joke, definitely. Hey, if you are headed out with your family, if you happen to be a dad or a mom, what if a restaurant did this to you? Because Frankie and Benny's is doing it 
in the UK. They have 250 locations in the UK. Frankie and Benny's is basically an Italian restaurant in the UK, and they bill themselves as kind of being like an American eatery. Hey, come eat American food, that kind of thing. You walk into Frankie and Benny's, and the first thing that they will say to you between now and looks like the end of this week, they've been doing it for a couple of weeks, but they're trying it. They will say to you, if you follow our no phone campaign and you give us your cell phone, we'll keep it at the hostess stand and you go and have your dinner, your kids eat free. What do you think? That's not the hardest thing in the world. Otherwise, you do have to pay for your kids' meals. But this is the way to get free kids' meals, and they're doing it for a period of time, and I hope they give us the results as to how many people took them up on this. But they say, our staff is actively encouraging customers and families to take part in the initiative. Of course, we can't force them to hand over their phones. If it is a success, we'll certainly look at ways to activate it on a more permanent basis. So you hand over your phone and your kids eat for free. If you don't hand over your phone, you have to pay. Because the owner of Frankie and Benny's, I think, or maybe even one of the managers brought this forward, looked at research that said 72% of children wish their parents would spend less time on their phone. And that 70% of kids surveyed thought their parents actually had more screen time than they did. So that's why Frankie and Benny's decided to do this. Hopefully you do this already. No phones at the table. That's got to be a rule. We struggle with it sometimes, but most of all, we're, we're pretty good at it at home. And it works. You have some great conversations. Otherwise, eh, you might as well go and eat in three different rooms. Coming up, we're going to talk with the son of George Chevallo, Mitch Chevallo, who's been pretty outspoken since the fight involving Adonis Stevenson that has left him in a coma. He's a boxer. We'll tell you a little bit more about that fight. And then Mitch Chevallo is going to join us to talk about how he sees boxing, having been the son of arguably Canada's most famous boxer and also somebody who looks at what boxing did to his dad and certainly what it's doing to other fighters. Mitch Chevallo joins us after Jacqueline LaBelle and News. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Congratulations to Team Canada at the Canadian Tire Para Ice Hockey Cup. They have beaten Korea 4 to nothing, And by my math, that means Canada has earned themselves a place in Saturday's final. James Dunn who is from Wallace Town had a goal and two assists in the game. And so Canada will play one more game against the United States in the round robin. And then, again, by my math, correct me if I'm wrong on this, they will be playing in the final on Saturday. It'll be Canada and the U.S. coming up tomorrow at 7 o'clock at Western Fair. This competition is here in London all this week, stretching into the final on Saturday at 4 o'clock. Canada and the U.S. have played once already. That was on Monday. The U.S. won it 3 to nothing, And so Canada gets an opportunity tomorrow night in order to bounce on back. And then may very well play the United States in Saturday's final. So that's coming up. The other big 
story in the world of sports that is is really causing a lot of discussion is the one involving a boxer from Montreal named Adonis Stevenson. If you have a name like Adonis, boxing, that's just something you were born to do. Well, he was in a fight on the weekend in a light heavyweight title defense under the WBC belt, and he was fighting a Ukrainian boxer, and he went down. And he suffered a brain injury in that fight. He was taken to a hospital in Montreal and has been in intensive care since his surgery. Global News has updated things saying that he is in stable but critical condition, so still in critical condition, and he's basically been placed in a coma. He's under artificial ventilation. He is undergoing neurological monitoring. He's already had a surgery. You know, you enter into sport for a number of different reasons, and it doesn't matter what the sport is. It doesn't even matter what the pastime is. You could be riding your bike to work. There are dangers. But you never want to see somebody involved in something that you don't mean to have turn into a life-threatening situation. And it happens from time to time. We've seen football and hockey players paralyzed. We have seen people in sport die. And the risk is there. And in this case, this is happening in boxing. And because it's boxing, you've got that discussion going on. Because this is a sport that maybe isn't as follow isn't followed as closely as it was years ago. And boxing's its own worst enemy for that. If you were able to unify all of the belts and you were able to say, okay, this right here is a championship fight. This right here is the heavyweight championship of the world fight. And every once in a while, you get something that's built up like that where the belts all come together. But typically, it doesn't happen. If they had had that, maybe the sport continues to be followed to a great extent. But you still have boxing fans, and you still have the support at a very high level, and sponsorship is still there. So it is going to exist. But the question coming in now deals with should it exist? Is this a sport that you want to put your child into? Talk to anybody who's in it. They will tell you there is so much to learn from it, as there is with any sport. And they will stick up for it. But when you look at the dangers, the ultimate goal in this is to hit the head of another person. And in doing so, you're risking injury. What is every other sport attempting to do right now? From hockey and football, where contact occurs quite a bit, to heading in soccer, what's the discussion? Well, how do we eliminate hits to the head? Hockey's done a very good job of it. Football is actually doing a very good job of it. It makes people who play in the secondary, all defensive backs, look horrible because they can't hit anymore. They just try and tackle with their arms. They try and slow people down, and it's, it's, it's not what it used to be. But is it safer because of that? Yeah, it is. It actually is. But with boxing, the goal is to hit the head. So what are we supposed to do with the sport of boxing then? Well, in a moment, we'll talk with someone who is very close to the sport of boxing because he's very close with his father, and his father just happens to be George Chevallo. But he has seen his father develop 
a disorder that you could point to boxing and say, yeah, that contributed to what my father is going through right now. You could say that very easily. Mitch Chevallo is going to join us. But at the same time, he's able to watch what happens with Adonis Stevenson. He's also able to watch, or he's also able to recount the experience of growing up as George Chevallo's son. So how does Mitch Chevallo feel about boxing? We're going to find out in about two minutes. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Adonis Stevenson has been updated to stable but still critical. He's still under neurological monitoring. He's still sedated, so basically in an induced coma. What was he doing? What happened? He was boxing. And he wasn't boxing in a heavyweight fight. If you want to see video of it, you can... Well, just basically Google Global News and Adonis Stevenson, and you'll see the story pop up. Adonis Stevenson, stable but critical after traumatic brain injury. And you'll see video of the actual fight. He was in a light heavyweight title defense. And that has brought about a lot of discussion about boxing. Joining us right now is someone who's been very close to the sport his entire life because his father is probably Canada's best-known boxer and... He's probably Canada's best boxer ever, five-time Canadian champion. He fought for the heavyweight title twice, faced Muhammad Ali. His name, of course, is George Chevallo. Please welcome his son, Mitch Chevallo, to the show. Mitch, how is Wednesday going for you? Oh, not bad. I was, uh, <laughs> I've been doing a couple interviews uh, in the media about uh, what has transpired recently with the uh, with the difficult situation with Adonis Stevenson, so that's weighing heavily on my mind. But uh, aside from that, it's another normal Wednesday, you know, wrestling practice in the morning, and I'm, I'm at school now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you carry around one of the greatest names in boxing everywhere you go. How do you personally feel about boxing? Uh, well, Mike, I've got a bit of a, a love-hate relationship. I've spoken about this before with boxing. You know, I've been around boxing all, all my life, and you know, one of the seminal moments in my in my lifetime was when I was six years old, watching my dad go up into the ring and fight for the heavyweight championship of the world against Muhammad Ali. I've been to so many uh, boxing matches all over the world, actually, and watched local, national, and uh, international fights involving Canadians. Uh, been in the boxing community, um, love the people. A lot of the people involved, great characters. But you know, as I get older. You notice the pattern of their um, their brain health diminishing. It doesn't matter whether they had an extensive or short career in the ring. Uh, one of the uh, obvious and um, and uh, unavoidable uh, circumstances is the fact that their brain is going to be compromised as they get older, and that's and that's tough to see. It's tough to see with my dad, and it's tough to see with all the figures in boxing that I loved and cared about and and watched and cheered on as they get older. You know, because for so many years, no one even. Don't even picture that. No one thought anything about that. When you were watching your dad at six years old, what was that like watching him go off into the ring? Do you remember the the sensation you had? No, I, I sure. I mean, I mean, it was an electric. You know, I, it's still like now. You wonder if you're 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 adding to the memory, or if it's still that clear and, and precise in your mind. But I, you know, you remember the, the excitement, the adrenaline rush, uh, my getting up on the 
on the uh, seat and uh, the foldable collapsible seat and yelling and screaming for the referee to get out of the way so my dad could hit Muhammad. And the smell of cigar smoke, the blue haze, because people could smoke cigars back then in the place, and they did that with regular hanging over the ring, the smell, the sounds, the excitement. Yeah, it's, it was overwhelming. Uh, it was an overwhelming uh, uh, sensory experience for a six-year-old. And then to go up into the ring after, I mean, what you do is you bond with your father emotionally in ways that are uh, beautiful but dangerous, too. You know, so, And uh, you, what you have a tendency to do is, view your father as a, a bit of a superman, and George was. He's got a legendary um, career, and, you know, and he seemed to be like an impenetrable fortress of Canadian bedrock. But uh, boxing takes its toll on anyone who's had an extensive career. And as I see him in the twilight of his uh, life, I see, I, I wonder if it was all worth it, knowing fully well that that's the way he forged uh, his identity and his life. And you just wonder if there aren't ways that we can do something to mitigate the brain damage that happens to these people. Mitch Chevallo joining us, son of George Chevallo. Mitch, you paint such an amazing picture of, of seeing your dad up in the ring. You also saw your dad walk through the door with bags of groceries. It, did he still seem like Superman carrying groceries? Oh, yeah. Well, you, I mean, <laughs> my mom did most of the groceries. Most of the groceries. <laughs> George did most of the eating of the mic. <laughs> Especially post-career. Uh, yeah, I mean, my, my dad was, you know, I, I think one of the reasons why my father has been such a popular athlete in the Canadian mindset is he connects with people on so many different levels, right? The, he connects as a representative of Canada, fought during the golden era of heavyweight boxing. He connects with individuals in terms of, you know, people know about his, his life history and the tragedy and the things that he's overcome and, and pushed his way through. And they also relate to him because he's, uh, still in that very Canadian athlete way, still, and, and this, this is across the board, you look at Canadian athletes compared to athletes from other countries, still a gentleman, still um, willing to sign autographs, still willing to connect with people. Uh, I never saw my dad ever once rude with an autograph seeker or someone who wanted to come up and relay the story about how their father sat them down in front of the TV to watch George fight Muhammad or someone else. And, and he's still um, very appreciative of the fact that people remember his career. And even though his memory is waning, uh, whenever people come up to him at, at events, uh, uh, recently I saw someone come up and relate a story to him, but, and, and sometimes the spark goes off and it kindles memory, and that's a beautiful thing to watch. If you were, Mike, at the end of a night when my dad's at a social engagement and maybe an individual's had a couple of drinks and they, you know, they get up a little bit of nerve and they come over and they relate such a beautiful and personal story about how my dad's affected their life, uh, that's, that's a beautiful moment to be a fly on the wall on uh, and, and listen to because it's uh, really heartwarming. Mitch Chevallo joining us. Son of George Chevallo. Mitch, you touched on Adonis Stevenson, and you've also touched on the sport of boxing. It is the sweet science at the same time. It is the simplicity of one man or one woman trying to knock down or knock out another man or another woman. Is there anything that you see that could change to make this sport safer? Do you fear for the future of the sport? Um, I, it would be very easy for me to say, and a little hypocritical to say, band boxing. Because when you do that, you know it's going to go underground. Uh, people will go to other jurisdictions where they're not going to do that. Um, my suggestion is we get uh, the best minds from all over Canada in some kind of a symposium. symposium. Uh, those people involved with all sports uh, work, 
the brain health of our young people is jeopardized. And, and we, we discuss best practices. We discuss, you know, ways that our sports are connected and how we can protect our young people. Because there's always a cost-benefit analysis. There's always a risk involved when you play, um, you know, aggressive and violent sport that you're going to get hurt. And those things need to be made as uh, clear and concise up front before you ever get involved. And I think there's some way we need to test the uh, baseline health of the brain. And when um, that changes, we, we rest people or take them out of the sport. The problem with boxing is, and I, I've told this to other people, my, my dad never suffered a, a, a concussion. Never. But it's all those thousands of sub-concussive uh, hits to the head that cause dementia later on in life. And, and, and that's sad. That's sad. Now, my father, I asked him a few days ago, <laughs> again, I've told this to people, Dad, if you, you know I have brain damage? He says, yes, I know I have brain damage. Would you fight it? Uh, would you do it all over again? He says, hell yes, I would do it. You know, they, it offered him an opportunity to forge an identity, a way of being in the world that, that people still talk about today. And they'll still talk about him after he's dead and gone, about what, what a legendary Canadian hard rock figure that he was, you know, both uh, representing Canada and, and in the international boxing world. Absolutely they will. Well, Mitch, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much for giving us all of your thoughts. Mike, thanks very much. I want to say hi to everybody out in London and all my friends down there. I've got some good buddies I went to school with. Thanks. Fantastic. Nice, great talk to you. Take great care. Bye-bye. Mitch Chevallo, son of Canadian boxer George Chevallo. So what do you do with boxing? As Mitch points out, it'll happen. It'll go underground. You don't necessarily want to see that. Or it'll go to jurisdictions that allow it. It's not going to disappear anytime soon. And there are positives that don't get stressed enough when it comes to boxing. You look at what people would call barbaric. You're just punching each other in the head. Well, okay, yeah, ultimately you can't really argue that point, but you look at the fitness level that you have to have in order to be successful in boxing. And go ahead and try and say, yeah, but look at those heavyweight boxers. Okay, yeah. Uh, how about you race them up some stairs? Good luck with that. They might not look like they are in the best of shape, but for the most part, you wouldn't beat them in a run up the stairs. You can't just stand there in the ring and swing and punch for up to 15 rounds and not be in good shape. So there's that. There's the discipline that exists. And I know you can say, well, you can go to other disciplines in, say, the martial arts, and you can find that discipline and then some. You don't need boxing. But you get the the self-defense skills that a lot of times aren't taught. And I don't know whether our world is getting away from that. I mean, it used to be that you had to know how to fight in the alley. And by that, I mean, you know, you you might have to fight after school. That That was a thing. And it was sometimes impossible to avoid. So that maybe has gone away from our world a little bit. I don't think we see the fights to the same extent. Unfortunately, you know, we've gone away from saying, let's decide this. And it'll just be you and you and you'll have a little scuffle and somebody might get a black eye and then whatever anger exists will be resolved and the fact that you both stood there makes you respect each other and off you go. I mean, that was that's the old way. Now it's, hey, 
You looked at me the wrong way. I'm going to find somebody I know with a gun or a weapon. I'm going to be back. That's what brings the power. And that's unfortunate because that's just stupidity. You know, who, he who has the biggest gun? No, that's not what it's about. But those are the things that get lost in boxing. Now, I know that there are other things that can pick that up, and there really are. If you want discipline, talk to anybody who teaches karate or who has taken karate or any other martial art, and they're going to tell you there are a lot of very same disciplines uh, and, and same teachings, but at the same time, you don't have the hits to the head in the same way. So I don't know where boxing goes. But what happened on the weekend with Adonis Stevenson is tragic at this point, and it's not helping. It's not encouraging people to put their children into it. I'm sure the sport is on its way out. Maybe. I, I, can't, I don't know if I can even say that. Is the sport on What do you think? 519-643-2222. I think boxing has much of a future. If you are a parent or a grandparent, are you putting your kids into it? You don't see that. Hey, where are you going? Well, we're going to play soccer. Hmm, okay, have fun with that. Where are you going? We're going to go boxing. What? You don't hear that. Now, there are boxing clubs. There are boxers, even in London, Ontario. Very successful boxing events that are held. But this sport, can it change? How do you change it? You can argue for it all you want. How do you actually change it? The goal is still going to be to knock down or knock out your opponent, and the best way to do that is to punch at their head. And you look at the concussion knowledge that we have now that we didn't have a long time ago. Why would you put yourself into that? Why would you risk having to be neurologically monitored as Adonis Stevenson is right now, having to be put into a coma, having to have brain surgery, risking whatever comes out of it when he wakes up? What kind of brain damage was done? Something was done. Can he recover from it? Will he be the same? I don't know. He was doing what he loved to do. Is that enough? Email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. Phone lines are open at 519-643-2222. Coming up, when you hear a siren or when you see a siren in your rearview mirror and it is an ambulance, what do you do? Well, you pull over. Then why isn't everybody pulling over? We'll have details on the fact that not everybody is and what that can do. That is also incredibly dangerous. And we'll talk about it after Jacqueline LaBelle and news. This is London Live, brought to you by our friends at Winmar, your restoration specialist. Remember, they also do renovations. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. If you head to 980cfpl.ca, you can check out a video right now about a crash that you have to be happy you weren't a part of. You know SpaceX, right? SpaceX, that's Elon Musk. This guy's brilliant. This guy's really wealthy. And years and years ago, you had the SpaceX program, which was essentially a challenge. And it challenged people to try to reduce the cost of, of space travel by basically making your own rocket. And it gave a $10 million prize. And, well, 
that's what we're seeing play out right now because Elon Musk was heavily involved in that. And they launched the holiday shipment that was due to get out into space and go to the International Space Station. It had cranberry sauce. It had candied yams. They had a fruitcake. And they had a turkey. And they also had a wee bit of an issue because while they fired that off, the first stage rocket booster was trying for a touchdown on land back at Cape Canaveral, but it ended up falling into the Atlantic Ocean instead. So that's lost them a little bit of cash because what they are trying to do at SpaceX, one of, one of the other things, is to create rockets that are reusable. So this ultimately goes into, hey, uh, what are you doing next weekend? I don't know. Want to go to the moon? Sure. I'm not doing much else. Okay. All right, I'll book it. That's ultimately what, you know, it would be a little more complicated than that and a lot more costly. But that's ultimately what they wanted to do. And you can make a lot of money of some very rich people who might want to fly in space. But you've got to have reusable spacecraft. And when your booster falls into the ocean, you can't recover it? That's not what they were talking about. They wanted this to fall back on land. So the turkey's still going. The cranberry sauce, the candied yams, the obligatory fruitcake, they're okay. They're still flying toward the International Space Station, but they've had a little bit of a setback. So if your friend says to you, what are you doing next weekend? Want to go to the moon? Hold off. Just for, They're still working out some things. Up next, we have something that has been with us forever. We know what to do, but we got to work on this all over again. We have forgotten. We live in our own worlds. If you find that you're too much into your own world, get out. Step outside of it. It's like a shell that surrounds you. Take a look around. Experience. But here's the real problem in all of this. We've got people who, when an ambulance is trying to get through traffic, will not pull over. Did you hear the example this morning on 980 CFPL News? If you didn't, we'll revisit that, and then we'll talk about just how much of an issue this is with the chief of Middlesex London Emergency Medical Services. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Here's a story that you may have heard this morning with Jess Brady and Jake Jeffrey on 980 CFPL. It's titled here, Ambulance, and it's titled that way for a reason. It says, motorists are being reminded to pull over for emergency vehicles after an incident with an ambulance. Members of the Middlesex London Paramedic Services were driving a patient to hospital when it got stuck behind a vehicle that refused to pull over. Police say it was stuck behind the vehicle for about one and a half kilometers, and ultimately the officers gave the driver a ticket in the amount of $490 and six demerit points. How do you have an ambulance behind you and you drive for a kilometer and a half? How does that even happen? How do you not see this? Is the music too loud? Are you putting on your makeup as you drive to work? Are you eating a bowl of cereal? What is it that you're doing that is distracting you enough that you're not pulling over? Or is it that you just don't realize the rule anymore? Are we not stressing that? 
Let's see how much of an issue this happens to be. We are very lucky to have with us right now on London Live, Neil Roberts, who is the chief of Middlesex London Emergency Medical Services. Chief Roberts, thanks so much for taking some time out for us. Uh, thanks, Mike, and thanks for having us on the show. I think we'd like to hope that this was an isolated incident. Uh, how isolated would you say it might be? Unfortunately, it's not as uh, isolated as we would think. It's probably an incident, uh, an issue that we see or our paramedics see uh, on a daily basis, or oh. more importantly, a frequently basis. Yes, sir. I'm, I hate to say that, but uh, I've even witnessed it myself when our crews are responding to a call and I'm in the opposite lane, uh, seeing vehicles not yield uh, to oncoming, whether it be police, fire, or paramedics responding. There are times of the day when we do see ambulance and emergency vehicles that are driving along and have their lights flashing, don't have their sirens going. What is the rule for that? Well, the sirens are to, uh, in two cases, to clear traffic that are obstructing uh, their path while they're on route to a call, uh, especially when their lights are activated. Uh, the second one is when they do come to an intersection and are going against the light, they are to come to a complete stop with their emergency systems activated. They may proceed through the intersection when it's safe to do so, but they need to alert the, the vehicles around them uh, that they're starting to uh, move into the intersection. But in other words, if they are carrying someone who needs medical attention, those sirens are then going, right? That's correct. And, and typically we don't uh, put the sirens on unless it's required or to notify uh, approaching traffic that we are coming up behind them and they need to yield to the right. Uh, the preference is to yield all the way onto the shoulder or to the curve. Uh, but if it's uh, two lanes, uh, everyone should move to the right. Often we'll see vehicles, some will move to the left, move, and others will move to the right. Problem is uh, that actually creates a, a barrier and the vehicle's not able to pass. Wow. Okay. We're talking about something we shouldn't have to be talking about right now, and that is yielding to emergency vehicles. But this is something that does need to be discussed because, as Chief Roberts has pointed out, this is something that emergency personnel see daily or just about daily. We're talking with Chief Neil Roberts from the Middlesex London Emergency Medical Services. He is the chief. Chief Roberts, let's look at maybe some of the things that you deal with in terms of, of busy roadways. I can't imagine having to get through at rush hour times. If you are, as a driver, coming up to a pretty busy intersection, what is a driver looking to do to negotiate and get through that intersection as quickly and as, as well as possible? Well, again, Mike, a uh, good question. They're trying to uh, ensure that the traffic in front of them uh, is clear and that traffic uh, is yielding, as I said earlier, to the right uh, to allow the emergency vehicle to pass. Uh, at times, if it's really congested traffic, uh, the emergency vehicle will travel in the opposite lane because uh, that's the most direct access. But uh, if traffic comes to a dead standstill and nobody pulls to or yields to the right, and then that certainly adds uh, our we lose uh, precious, valuable time in responding to these emergencies. And maybe that's something we've got to spell out. When we're talking about time and dealing with somebody who is in medical distress, either going to get them or taking them to a hospital, uh, how critical are pieces of time like seconds or minutes? It's very important, and I think the example that you raised at the beginning of your show, uh, where for approximately 1.5 kilometers a driver failed to yield, 
that crew was en route uh, to the hospital with a critical patient at the time, and they were unable to pass the vehicle. And in fact, at time uh, at that time, if I'm correct, uh, that uh, response time was slowed down uh, due to the failure to yield. Uh, and thankful uh, we're thankful to London Police Services uh, for intervening and uh, laying the appropriate charges because really, at the end of the day, uh, it could be your family member that's in the back of the vehicle. Uh, and so certainly, we want to get uh, to the receiving facility as quickly as possible because uh, time matters. And if you missed it, as we said at the beginning, London Police did issue that driver a ticket, $490, six demerit points. That's the penalty for it. Any other stories that you can think of that, that do kind of stand out to you with regard to drivers getting in the way or not doing the appropriate things? I think the, uh, besides the, the issue you raised, Mike, of, of yielding, uh, that's one. The other one as well, which uh, is certainly a concern to all emergency services, are, are basically when you're approaching an emergency vehicle on the side of the road, uh, don't, uh, first of all, slow down and move away from that unit. Don't. Uh, I often see vehicles, uh, and I recently stopped uh, at an accident uh, a couple weeks ago where cars were literally flying by at great rates of speed when my uh, vehicle uh, had its emergency lights flashing. Uh, you know, again, you're putting emergency crews, whether it be police, fire, or paramedics, at risk, uh, even uh, tow truck drivers when they're on the side of the road. Uh, and the public needs to understand that that type of behavior is illegal uh, and puts lives unnecessarily at risk. They need to slow down and proceed with caution uh, at those type of incidents. You have to do your job. What is it like to be at a situation like that where you're trying to address a very serious situation away from just being on the side of the road and you have vehicles flying by. What's that like for you? It's uh, it's dangerous for the paramedics and, and certainly uh, or police officers or firefighters and it just puts them at uh, extra risk and, and I would add unnecessary risk, Mike. Uh, again, nobody needs to be going that fast uh, at an accident scene or a scene that has uh, emergency vehicles stopped. They're doing their job. Uh, please don't make their job uh, any harder by those emergency responders becoming patients. Is that something that when you go home at the end of the day, you'll think back about, or even days later you'll think back about? I'm sure our paramedics do, and, and certainly it you know it makes their job a little bit more frustrating. They're they're trying to get uh, either to patients quickly or or do their job on the side of the road, and and certainly they'd like to get home and be with their families uh, and not being another victim. And and so certainly I think it's important for the public to understand uh, the valuable role that uh, emergency responders are doing, but also to respect uh, that uh, they're at risk. And and again. Uh, everyone needs to get somewhere, especially at this time of year. But, you know, pay attention, be vigilant, slow down, uh, and keep an eye out. Chief Roberts, I can't believe we've had to talk about it, but thank you very much for talking about it with us. Thank you, Mike, for bringing this uh, important issue uh, to the attention of your listeners. Take care. All right, bye-bye. That is Chief Neil Roberts, Chief of Middlesex London Emergency Medical Services. And I'm not trying to jump up on a soapbox here, but seriously, you're not getting out of the way? Of an emergency vehicle? When seconds do count? When minutes do count? Why? Because you don't realize it? Because you didn't learn that? I mean, that's not something on your driver's test that is going to instantly come up. And you don't need to have a perfect score to get your G1. Is that what we're missing? You don't realize that's a thing? How about when there's a funeral? I mean, it's a sign of respect to pull over. How many people actually do? But in this case... We're looking at something that 
could hinder a life. And we've got somebody driving for a kilometer and a half in front of an ambulance that can't get by. And it's one of those things where you say, well, you know, it's a $490 ticket. That's a pretty hefty ticket. That's not a ticket you want to get. Six demerit points. What do we start with? Twelve? So that's half. So that's that's a hefty fine. I don't know whether you said, well, let's up the ticket to $4,900. Then no one will do it. Sure, I guess, but no one ever knows what the amount of a ticket is. So if you hit them with a $490 ticket or a $4,900 ticket, it's not like it was a deterrent in the first place. And that becomes the issue. You want it to be a deterrent in the first place. It should be common sense. But as we know, common sense, kind of dwindling, right? Oh, sorry, I was busy sending a tweet. You know, what? what is it that you're doing in the vehicle that prevents you from seeing an ambulance in behind you? What are you doing in the vehicle that prevents you from hearing an ambulance? Or is it that people just have absolutely no clue anymore? I don't know. This is not everybody. I mean, we're talking about a very small percentage of the population, but enough of the population that if you missed it with Chief Roberts, this is something they encounter every day. People who don't know how to merge. Now, hey, we've all been in a situation where an ambulance comes flying in and is trying to get by and you're trying to get out of the way. And in doing so, sometimes it's difficult and you think, oh, and you get all panicky. I want to get out of the way. Well, I can't go right, so maybe I'll go left. Well, that can create issues as well. Everybody's got to get to the right. Let's go to the phones with Al. Al, what do you think about all of this? Hey, Mike, this is crazy. I don't know how many times I've followed this happening down the street. But you even look on the Facebook where this has been posted on Facebook time and time again, the people that reply to it, they still think they can move to the left. I don't know if it is the new way they're teaching it at school and driver's training or it's just older people that don't remember the rules. But everybody's got to remember that you must move to the right and you have to also make accommodations for people trying to move to the right. Yeah, if you're already over to the right, you can't say, well, it's not my fault. If somebody else is trying to and you can still go, you've got to go. Yeah, well, you got to move. And and the other big issue that comes up in this is the people at the corners and the intersections. I don't know what the law says, that if they move over to pull out of the way for uh, ambulance coming through, and there's an accident caused because you've pulled forward to get out of the way on a plugged intersection, who's at fault at that point? Because I know if an ambulance goes through and a car comes through and hit him, hits him, it's still the ambulance's fault. But if you're trying to get out of the way of an ambulance, and you're at the front of the line, and you're trying to pull to the right, but puts you out of the intersection, and you get hit, or, or you cause an accident, who's at fault? Good question. You know what, we've had a couple of questions that have come in that maybe we can group together and get some answers on tomorrow, because I had a roundabout question that came in, who's using a roundabout properly, and it gave a couple of examples, and I've got another intersection question, so that's something we'll try and do tomorrow and get you an answer on that. So your question, Al, is if if an accident is caused because somebody is moving to allow for an ambulance, who's at fault? Right. Okay, we'll, we'll try yeah. and get an answer for that. Okay, thanks, Mike. Okay, thanks for the call. Yeah, we've had a few questions. Do we know how to use a roundabout properly? I don't think so. I don't even know if I do. And I've read the sign. It's hard to read the sign because it's got about four instructions on it. And by the time you get there, like Hale and Trafalgar is a good example. By the time you, and I think there's only a sign going on two different directions going into that roundabout. 
by the time you get into the roundabout, you've only read the first two lines. So, yeah, tomorrow we'll look at that. So causing an accident because you are trying to make way for an emergency vehicle and there's another intersection question. We'll group all of those together. And we'll get some answers tomorrow on London Live. Also coming up tomorrow on London Live, we're going to be talking about CRISPR. And we'll look back. You've heard the story of the two babies born in China. And there was gene editing going on. They edited the germ line. And this is going to be an interesting thing to do. Essentially, the father was HIV positive and wanted to have kids. So you go in and you edit and you make the children HIV resistant. Only worked on one of the twins. So we'll look as closely as we can at that case. But gene editing exists, and it's coming on like the Internet. And that's what scares me, because when the Internet was born, nobody regulated it. Want to know why we have so much porn on the Internet? Nobody regulated it. I don't know if you could have at the outset, but you could have tried harder than we did. Well, we shouldn't let the same thing happen with our ability to manipulate genetics. Let's take a break. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Big thanks to Matt McInnes for his help today. Thanks to Minister Ernie Hardiman, Tim Newfeld and the Glory Boys, Mitch Chevallo, and Chief Neil Roberts from Middlesex London Emergency Medical Services for being here. London Live brought to you by our friends at Winmar, the restoration specialists. Next up, we have news with Jacqueline LaBelle and Matthew Trevithick. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL.